I wanna invite you to get out your Bible and to get out something to write with. Maybe it is a phone, maybe it's a piece of paper, not because of necessarily what I'm gonna say, but I believe that God is probably gonna speak to each of us in different ways as we open the word together. So I wanna invite you to have something uh, to write with to pay attention to whatever it is that God has for you as we get into Mark uh, chapter six. And so you can go ahead and turn there. So when I was in high school, I had the joy of playing baseball for this really amazing coach. His name was Coach Harris. And uh, just a passionate um, baseball coach. You've probably heard me talk about him before. And he had this tradition that he would do every year before the season would get started. He'd call all of the returning players and all of the new players uh, together. And we would meet in his classroom, which was on the east wing of the high school uh, that we went to, large public high school. And I remember we would meet in his classroom before we ever put on our cleats, before we ever stepped on the field, before we ever picked up a baseball. And we'd get in that classroom at the beginning of every season, and he would remind us of two things. He'd remind us of what our mission was as a team. And so he'd always say, boys, this is high school baseball, which means we no longer play baseball for fun. We play baseball because we're trying to win state championships. And so he'd tell us the mission and we would laugh and he'd share it. And then he would spend the next 30 or 40 minutes reminding us and challenging us to embrace a few postures together as a team. Because he'd say, if our mission to, is to win the state championship, there are a few collective postures that we need to hold on to together as a team so that that mission can bear fruit both in us and through us and we can see the goal kind of come to life. And so we'd start every season kind of reflecting on some of these things. And I've thought of him often because we've sort of followed that rhythm and pattern here at Ethos as well. Every time we come into a new season, in January, we'll do this before we jump into the spring. In May, we do this before we get to the summer. In August, we'll do this before we get to the fall. We just sort of stop. And as a church, we, we come back to the basics and we, we, we ask ourselves, why is it that God has given us the grace of existing in this part of the city for the glory of God and the good of those who don't yet know him? And so we'll talk about our mission. You know, every week we say it is to love God, to love people, and to awaken a movement. But as we come to the beginning of a new season, I think it's important for us to really stop and to just ask ourselves, are we willing to embrace the postures that are required so that the mission of God, both for us, in us, and through us, for the sake of those around us, can actually begin to bear fruit? And so this morning, we're going to come to Mark chapter 6. We've been in this journey together through the gospel of Mark, looking at this amazing picture of Christ and who he is. And if you've been with us, we've been studying through these six chapters, and Jesus, at the point in the story that we're coming to, uh, today is roughly 31 years old. He's been with his disciples for about a year. They've seen him heal the sick. They've seen him care for the oppressed. They've seen him lift up the lowly. They've seen him rebuke the religious. They've seen him drive out demons, calm the storms, and raise the dead. And we come to Mark chapter six, and Jesus is going to dangle the proverbial car keys in front of his kids who have just gotten their license, and he's gonna say, now is your turn to be turned loose in the kingdom. Do you remember that feeling when you turned 16 and no longer did you have to drive with a parent in your car and your mom or your dad or your grandparents, whoever it was, threw you the keys? And now it's your turn to drive. And Jesus is gonna look at his followers and he's gonna say, Here, here's your chance. Here's the opportunity for you to start putting into practice the things that I've been showing you for the last year or so. And there's this shift that happens that I want us to notice in Mark chapter six where the disciples go from being these glorious observers of God's work around them 
to being participants and stewards of God's work in them and through them. And Jesus is gonna remind them this is the mission and these are the things that we need to hold on to together as a family of faith if we want this mission to flourish within us. And so I wanna invite you to, to, to write down this big idea or to, to at least take a mental snapshot of it because today we're gonna to just circle around one big idea and there are gonna be five pictures that we see in Mark chapter six that all kind of connect to this big idea like the spokes around the center portion of a wheel. So if you take notes, I want you to, to write down this big idea or at least to think about it. Here it is. Because Jesus is, and then you can draw a little blank, like a fill in the blank. Because Jesus is, we are. Another fill in the blank. Because Jesus is, we are. Because Jesus is, we are. And what you're gonna begin seeing unfold in Mark chapter six is it's because of who Jesus is that the disciples are starting to grow into who they are becoming. And I think this is crucial for us as we turn our eyes towards the summer and ask the Lord, what is it that you have for us in the season ahead? So Mark chapter six, we're gonna start in verse six. If you've been with us, Jesus has just calmed the storm. He's just uh, healed the demon-possessed man. He's been rejected by his own family. And then the story picks up in verse six like this. It says, then Jesus went around teaching from village to village Calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two and he gave them authority over impure spirits. And these were his instructions. He said, take nothing for the journey except for your staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. And whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And so the disciples went out and they preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons. They anointed many sick people with oil and they healed them. This is the word of God out of Mark chapter six. And so Jesus looks at the disciples and he's reminding them of why it is that God has given them the grace of existing on mission. And I think there are five pictures in Mark chapter six, uh, five postures that Jesus is inviting them to hold on to if they wanna see this mission kind of flourish. And so if you take notes, I wanna invite you to write down the first big idea that comes out of uh, verses six and seven. And that is this, because Jesus is sent, we are sent. Or maybe another way of saying it, because Jesus is a going God, we are becoming a going people. And so I want you to think about this in verse six and seven. It says Jesus is traveling around village to village preaching the good news. And then in verse seven, look back at it with me. It says he comes to the disciples and what does he immediately begin to do? It says he begins to, to send them out. And Jesus is not just giving them some random instructions. He's not just giving them some random task list. Jesus is inviting them into the fullness of who he is and what it is that he has been sent to do. And it's because he is sent. It is because he is going that we become a people who are sent. We become a people who are going. So I want you to think about this with me for a second. This has always been the story of God. God has always been a going God or a God who has been sent. So do you remember the way the story begins in the first book of the Bible, if you've ever read it, in Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve sin. They screw it up for all of us. And who goes looking for who after an Adam and Eve mess it up? Do they go looking for God or does God go looking for them? God goes looking for them. Or there's this man named Abraham. Maybe you've heard of him. God uses him to start this unbelievable movement. 
And the Bible tells us that Abraham didn't get to be a part of the movement because he was so good and he went searching. Abraham got to be a part of the movement because God was good and God went searching. And when God found Abraham, Abraham was a man worshiping idols in his father's basement. And God shows up and says, I'm going to use you. Or Moses. Or think about David, King David. We so often think about him being this spectacular man, but he has an affair. He, he has the man murdered, who was the husband of the woman that he had slept with. And who went looking for who? Did David go looking for God or did God go looking for David? Or the disciples in Mark chapter one that we read about a few weeks ago. Do they get to be a part of this journey because they were anxiously anticipating and waiting for God? Or did they get to be a part of the journey because God went? And see, this is key. This is key for us to understand. Remember John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. In the character, in the heartbeat of who God is, God is a going God. And because God has been sent, we are a people who are being sent. And this is a radical shift for the religious thinking of the day when Jesus showed up in Mark chapter six. See, Jesus is talking to a group of disciples who much like us had always been taught that really religion, really following God is about you sitting and waiting for the world to come to you. See, these young Jewish men and women, they'd been taught their whole life, you know, you build a temple in Jerusalem. And then for all the religious feasts and festivals, People come to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. When you sin, when you screw up, you come to the temple. When you've dishonored God, you come to the priest. And their whole life, both verbally and actually, practically, the way that they lived and served, they were continuously being taught that the way that God was working was that the world came to the temple and Jesus shows up and goes, no, that's not the way the people of God operate. The world does not come to the temple. The temple goes to the world. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it says, don't you know that your bodies are temples for the Holy Spirit of God? And Jesus is changing the way they see themselves because he's changing the way they see God. God is a going God and we become a going people. And the truth is, anytime, anytime a new movement of God starts, this is easy to remember, but it almost always fades. Remember when we started Ethos six and a half years ago? We just had one worship gathering at night in this room. There's like 50 of us. And I remember those early days. They're so beautiful because there was this like sentness about us. Like we all knew that like God has sent us into the city for the sake of the city and the glory of God. And people, it was this miraculous thing. It'll be hard to imagine. But six and a half years ago, people used to show up to Ethos early. I mean, just a crazy thing. They'd, they'd get here before it started. And They'd park the car and they'd walk around the neighborhood and they'd invite people in to come be a part of what God was doing because there's this understanding that we have not been brought here to sit and listen and to consume. We've been sent here by God with a mandate for the good of the city. And some of the, the biggest messes we found ourselves in in those early days came when we took our sentness seriously. Can you imagine what would happen this summer if we turned our eyes to the Lord in a fresh way and if we really believed that because Jesus is sent, we are sent also into our neighborhoods and into our homes and into our schools and into our families and even to the ends of the earth for the glory of God. And I love this. Jesus shows up. He says, let me remind you of the mission. He says, the mission begins when you understand that God is a God who is sent and you in turn are a people that I am sending. 
But the story keeps unfolding. You keep going in verse six. I wanna keep reading. Look at this. It's the second picture that you have. It's not just that Jesus is sent and so we are sent. Verse seven, it says, calling the 12, he began to send them out. And I want you to underline this or circle it or think about it in your Bibles. He says, sent them out two by two. He sent them out two by two. Jesus is sent and so we are sent. The second picture I want you to notice is that Jesus's community is formed around mission, and so our community is formed around mission. Because Jesus's community is formed around mission, our community is formed around mission. And so this is one of the, the beautiful things. Jesus keeps inviting these disciples into his character, into who he is, and Jesus has always been a communal God. This is who he was in heaven, right? God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they were there in perfect community. This is who Jesus was during his earthly ministry for the 33 years that he was on earth. Do you remember the first thing that Jesus did in his ministry? He began assembling a team or a family. And Jesus didn't do this because he was an extreme extrovert or because he was lonely or needy. Jesus built a community around him because he, only, he understood that since God was a communal God, only a community could reflect him clearly. That this idea that faith is an individual sport that we've made it in the West is absolute nonsense in the teachings of Jesus. When Jesus thinks about faith, it is a communal endeavor. Men and women, young and old, black and white, rich and poor, educated and uneducated, linking arms, sinners becoming saints as they stand under the life and the grace and the beauty of who Jesus is. And because Jesus finds community around mission, we begin to find community around mission. One of my favorite stories of Jesus, we looked at a few weeks ago in Mark chapter three, Jesus is sitting there in a room like this teaching, and someone comes up and they say, hey Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here, and Jesus says something that's so offensive, especially on Mother's Day, he would not have probably said this on Mother's Day, he said, who's my mom? And you know Mary's like, I'm your mom, I remember that moment, like, I remember, I'm your mom. He's like, who are my brothers? And then Jesus makes this profound statement. He says, I wanna show you a bond that is thicker than blood. He says, my mother and my brothers are the ones who do the will of my father. In other words, Jesus said, you don't find this missional biblical community when you sit in plastic chairs and listen to the word of God. He says, you find this community when you live into the purposes and the mission and the work of God. And there's a big difference in this. There's a big difference in hearing and stepping into that which you have just heard. And Jesus says, if you want to find the community of God, he says it comes when you step into his mission. Who are my mothers and my brothers? Mark chapter three. He says, the ones that do what my father has asked them to do. Have you ever noticed how nothing will bond you with other human beings, like being a part of a mission that is bigger than yourself? So some of you have probably felt this if you've ever run a marathon before. You know, it's like torture. You force your body to do what you could have done in a car in just a few minutes, but for some reason, you train for months and you punish yourself. And what happens when you get to the end of the race? It's not just that you finish the race, it's that you have this unbelievable community. It's the reason some of you love CrossFit. We all know those who do CrossFit, why? Because it's not just that you're working out, it's that you're part of a bigger mission and you have a group of people around you. It's, it's the reason if you've ever been on a mission trip with somebody, you've gone to Honduras or to India, 
or to, to, to East Tennessee and you've served the poor, have you ever noticed the, the bonds and the friendship that comes? Why? Because you're united around something bigger than your favorite football team or the neighborhood you live in or the color of your skin or your age or your socioeconomic background. You've suddenly anchored your life into a mission that is bigger than yourself and you need a community to bring it out. And it's because Jesus finds community around mission that we, the people of God, get to find community around mission. I think about some of the young mothers in our, our church. It's been amazing to watch them really wrestle with how do we raise our children up so they know and love the Lord. So they'll gather every now and then. A few weeks ago, they got together in this group of moms. The whole purpose of their time together was how do we make the word of God more easy to digest and memorize for our kids in our, in our homes? So you had these women getting together, thinking through these things together, and the outpouring, the result of that was as they lived into the mission of God together, they're forming these friendships that they'll never forget. And I go, do you want to find the community of God? It doesn't come when you go looking for community. It comes when you come looking to be obedient to Christ. And as we walk with Christ, we find community because Jesus is sent, we are sent. Because Jesus finds community around the mission of God, we find community around the mission of God. Number three, th third thing that I want you to notice is because Jesus has power over darkness, we have power over darkness. Now, for some of you that did not grow up in a charismatic background, this is gonna bug you. I just say, just read the word with me, okay? Listen to the word. But I think it's true, I want you to see this in verse seven, it's, it's so important. So he began to send them out two by two and he gave them authority over evil and impure spirits. Now, th this is an amazing thing. This is an amazing thought process. If you've been watching Jesus as we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, have you noticed that everywhere Jesus goes, he has authority over darkness? So Jesus walks past the demon-possessed man and he casts out the demon. He walks past the sick and he heals the sick. Everywhere Jesus goes, Jesus keeps pushing out the forces of darkness because Jesus knew that the glory of God was unwilling to cohabitate with the forces of darkness. And wherever the glory of God is, the forces of darkness begin to scatter like cockroaches when the light has been turned on. And there's this beautiful thing that Jesus does. He turns to the disciples and he says, you've seen me do it, now it's your turn. And don't you know this was terrifying? Now the word here is so important, I'd encourage you to underline this or circle it in your Bible, the word for authority. There are two kinds of authority. There is an authority that is, that is more just uh, sort of um, in name. And then there's an authority that actually comes with power. So to illustrate it, when I was in high school, uh, from time to time I would cut classes, I'm not advocating it, but I would cut classes whenever I could do that. And there were two types of authority in our school, one that you had to watch out for and the other that you didn't really have to pay attention to. And so the first was this hall monitor. And so maybe you remember hall monitors, maybe some of you were hall monitors, God bless you. And um, a hall monitor was just a student that loved telling on their friends. And I can't figure that out, but they'd walk around the hall and they'd, they'd turn in their friends. And they had authority, but none of us feared the hall monitors because they didn't have any power to back up the authority. And so I'd walk out in the hall and one of the hall monitors would see me, hey, come here, I'm gonna write you up for being in the hall. And I'm like, yeah, you, if you can catch me and you have run up, it's like, they have authority, but they don't have power. 
But we also had police officers who were on duty that would walk around the halls, and they didn't just have authority, but they had power. And if you got caught by them, it was completely different, right? Because they had the power to back up that which they had just spoken with their lips. And you've gotta hear this. A lot of us are still living in the world as hall monitors on mission. Authority that comes cognitively only. We don't understand that by the power and the spirit of God and the blood of Jesus Christ, we've been given authority to push out darkness. And that authority and that power is not under your jurisdiction, but now your life is actually under his jurisdiction. And so it's not something that you wield and control on your own, but it's something that you step into with humility and go, wherever the glory of God is, evil will not cohabitate. So I think about how this plays out in our church. I could tell you a bunch of stories, but a month and a half ago, we have a group of students who for the last four years, every Friday and Saturday, have been working in a really kind of underserved neighborhood here in Nashville. They love these kids and they love these families and they're deeply invested in what God's doing in that neighborhood. So one Saturday, it comes to their attention that one of the kids in their group was being abused by his stepdad. And these college students, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, are like, what do we do? Like, what do we do in in this moment? Like, do we have the authority? Do we have the ability to, to, to say something? Can we step into the mess and be a part of whatever it is that God is doing? And I love this because they kept looking at Jesus and they kept looking at Jesus and they kept looking at Jesus and they realized that the people of Jesus never turn their backs on oppression. The people of Jesus never turn a blind eye to evil and instead they would walk with Christ into the mess and help push the darkness out of that house. And so these young men and women made the courageous move of going to this apartment complex and knocking on the door and confronting a man who's 15 years their senior and telling them, in the kingdom of God, dads do not abuse their kids and we're not gonna let you abuse your kid anymore. Seeing them take the kid out of the home, get the kid involved in a better situation But here's the beautiful thing. They understood that this man who was victimizing his kids was doing so because he was first a victim. And so in the kingdom of God, it's not just to push the darkness out of there, but to help him. Because you have authority. It's been backed up with the power of God. And because of this, we don't turn our eyes to the ways of evil in the world. Because Jesus is sent, you are sent Because Jesus finds community around the mission of God, we find community around the mission of God because Jesus has been given authority over the powers of darkness. We have been given authority over the powers of darkness. Number four that I want you to notice. And because Jesus enjoyed the provision of his heavenly father, you get to enjoy the provision of your heavenly father. Verse eight, this is beautiful. It says, these were Jesus' instructions as he sends them out. He says, take nothing with you for the journey except for your staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. And whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust of your feet as a testimony against them. Now, I want you to notice what Jesus is doing. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm sending you on a mission, but I wanna take away from you everything that you would be tempted to depend on more than me. He says, give me your wallet, Give me your keys, give me your cell phone. Just imagine Jesus standing before you this morning and saying, listen, I'm sending you to New York City. And Peter and Thomas, they get on kayak and they start booking the flights and booking the car and the hotel. And Jesus said, actually, no, that's not the way it's gonna work. Give me your keys, 
give me your phone, give me your wallet, give me your card. And they're like, what? <laughs> and Jesus says, I want you to go into the world on mission the way that I myself have come into the world on mission. Do you remember the way that Jesus came? He came completely clothed in vulnerability. Is there any posture more vulnerable than a human baby? Jesus could have come as a grown man. He could have come with angels. He could have come with force and power. He could have come with pomp and circumstance. Instead, he was born to a young, teenage, unwed mother in, in the back of an alley. And Jesus comes with vulnerability for the people that he would serve and utter dependency that God would provide for him in the midst of it. And I go, this is the journey that we're invited on. You and I are following a crucified Messiah who spent his adult years as a wandering homeless man. And Jesus, as he's inviting us into the mission, is gonna continually say, let go of all of the things you're tempted to find your trust and your security and your worth and your value in other than me. And I go, this is a terrifying proposition, right? Like, this is a terrifying proposition. You go, like, what do we do with this? But I want us to hear this the way that I think the disciples would have heard it because I don't think this would have brought them fear. I think this would have brought them joy because when you've been around Jesus, you could not help but hear this through the heart and the spirit through which I think he was saying it. I remember when I was in college, I had a friend whose parents were pretty wealthy and so every time they would come to town, his parents would take us to dinner and his father had this saying that he'd always say, he'd say, boys, leave your wallets at home. And we're like, awesome. That means tonight I'm eating the filet and I, I, I'm gonna eat as much food as I want because I'm not gonna have to pay for it. And to hear someone who was good and someone who had the means to take care of us instruct us to leave our wallets at home did not breed fear in us, it bred joy in us. Because we realized we're getting to be a part of something amazing and we're not gonna have to pay for it. Jesus saying, hey, do you wanna be a part of the mission of God? He's not saying leave your wallet and your purse and your bag at home and suffer. He's saying the trip has been paid for. Nothing to worry about. Come on. All the fears that are holding you back, come on. Come on. Come on. Because Jesus trusted in the provision of the Father, we get the joy of trusting in the provision of the Father. Do you remember Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6 where he's talking to this group of Christians and he says, he says, sons of the Father, children of the Father, don't worry about their house and their food and their clothes, what they're gonna eat, where they're gonna sleep, what they're gonna wear. And every time I hear Jesus say that in Matthew chapter six, I'm like, really? Because this child of the king worries about that stuff all the time. And Jesus goes on, he makes that famous statement in verse 33, Matthew chapter six. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Your father knows you need them. So often, we use our love for stuff as a diversion to obedience. And the God of the universe is calling us to go somewhere further. And Jesus is saying, will you trust that he'll provide? I've seen this over and over kind of in the course of our church's history. I remember when we first planted six and a half years ago, um, when we started here at the, uh, at the cannery, 
we had a week-to-week lease, and we still have a week-to-week lease, actually. But we started this way because all we could afford was one week at a time. And so I can't tell you how many Sunday nights we would we'd get done with our worship gathering and then our folks would count the offering. I remember one night, the folks that counted the offering came and said, Dave, we think somebody stole the offering. I'm like, why? And they began to tell, us, tell me how much was in it. I'm like, no, that's actually the offering. And it was just depressing. The offering was so low, they thought we'd been robbed. I'm like, this is nuts. I remember so many weeks, like on a Monday morning, waking up going, okay, God, I don't think we can ever meet again. We can't afford to be in the space. And how many times I'd come home and there'd be an unmarked envelope under the door with the exact amount of money we needed to pay the rent. Or I'd show up on a Monday to pay the rent and they'd say, hey, someone has done that for you. You know, see Ronnie and Stephanie here Three or four weeks, they're moving to Haiti, selling everything they have. They're going to take care of kids. And there's gonna be times when this idea is gonna be really challenged in you. And right now, the idea that God is a provider sounds good as we're sitting in plastic seats in Nashville. But when you need God to provide, it's terrifying. But Jesus says, embrace this because he will. He will. You'll never be in need when your father's in charge. Because Jesus is sent, we are sent. Because Jesus finds community around the mission of God, we find community around the mission of God. Because Jesus has authority over darkness, we have authority over darkness. Because Jesus trusts and enjoys the provision of the Father, we can as well. And this is the last one that I want to end on, number five. And Because Jesus' message was graciously offensive, our message at times will also feel graciously offensive. Look at this in verse 12. So he sent them out and they preached that people should repent. You should underline that word repent. It comes up over and over in the gospel of Mark. You can't read the story of Jesus without seeing this word. And as we read this word repent, it carries with it both the feelings of grace and also the feelings of offensiveness at times. The word repent literally just meant to make a U-turn, to change the way that you think about someone or something. And Jesus shows up on the scene in Mark chapter one, his first sermon, the first words out of his mouth were, repent, the kingdom of God is here, God is close, God is near. And when the men and women in that first audience would have heard this, they would have felt both the grace of that message and the offensiveness of that message, and you cannot have one without the other. And so Jesus shows up and he says, here's the grace. God is near. God is good. The kingdom of heaven has come into your world. Just turn around. Jesus sees these people who are chasing all of these things and they're missing the Lord. And he says, good news. The grace of God has come. Repent. But it was also offensive because to tell someone they needed to turn around to enjoy the goodness of God flies in the face of how we've been conditioned. You know, we've been conditioned. You do what you want to do. I do what I want to do. We leave each other alone and God will bless us all. Jesus says, no, the message is repent. Turn. God is near. But to enjoy his nearness, there has got to be a turning. There's got to be a shift in some of the ways that you think and live. And it's this message of repentance that caused people to worship Jesus, and it is also this message of repentance that caused many people to want to have him murdered. And it was this message of repentance that made him both someone that everyone wanted at the party, and at the same time, the one that no one wanted to invite. And as followers of Jesus, we cannot have Jesus without his message. 
This is gonna feel kind of hard to say, but I say this with love. I love you so much. I love our community of faith. But I think a lot of us, we avoid sharing this message of repentance. And I think the reason we avoid sharing this message of repentance is we're so scared of offending somebody. And we tend to be revisionist in the way that we view history. And so we, we, we look at this temptation in us to spare other people offense. And I think often we deceive ourselves into thinking that we are sparing them offense for their sake. And I want you to hear this with love. So often when we are scared of offending people, it has very little to do with our love for them and much more to do with our desire for them to love us. Here's the truth. As long as you feel the need to be loved by the world, you will never have the freedom to actually love the world. As long as you feel the need to be loved by the world, to have their approval of the world, you will never be set free enough to do the things that actually exhibit and demonstrate the love of God who is sending you. It's what Jesus says in the Gospel of John. He says, the world hates me because I keep telling them that the ways they are living are wrong. Somewhere along the way in America, we believe that the culture is supposed to agree with us on everything. And I go, wherever that idea was smuggled in from, it was not smuggled in from the kingdom of heaven. Jesus standing says, sometimes the most loving thing you can do is tell somebody to turn around. Some of you have friends that are very far from God right now, and I would argue that the greatest barrier in their life is not their sin, it is the fact that their friends are too cowardly to tell them the truth with grace. And for some of your friends, the greatest challenge in their life is that you, a follower of Jesus, does not love them enough to tell them and point them into the ways of Jesus. And so you want the grace without the truth. And Jesus says, here's the message, repent turn and it's hard but so good and once you see the way the story ends look at this in verse 12 and 13 it says they go out they preach repentance they drove out many demons verse 13 they anointed many sick people with oil and they healed them and I love this what happens when men and women of God start walking with Jesus on mission people are liberated from bondage People experience the joy of the good news. Things begin to change. Remember, six and a half years ago when we were getting ready to start Ethos, Sydney and I weren't sure if we were ready to take the step. And so we had this like pros and cons list. Maybe you've made one of these before. And you know, here are the pros. Should we start a new church in downtown Nashville? Here are the cons. Here's why we shouldn't do it. And so we're sitting down with one of our friends and mentors and we're going over the pros. And then we start going over all the cons and the cons was way longer than the pros, pros list. And I'll never forget my friend. He looked at me and he said, Dave, I think you all are asking all the wrong questions. And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, I think you're asking all the wrong questions. He says, it's not what will it cost you if you go on mission. What will it cost those in your city who don't yet know the Lord if you don't go on mission? Who will miss out 
on the goodness of God if you don't have the courage to take a step? I just want to ask you that question. It's not what will it cost you. What will it cost those you love the most if you don't embrace A Jesus who was sent, a Jesus who communes around mission, a Jesus who walks with power-filled authority, a Jesus who enjoys the provision of his Father, a Jesus who brings this grace-filled, offensive message of repentance. Who misses out if we don't have the courage to go? So I just want to ask you as we venture into a brand new season together at the beginning of the summer, where is God calling you? to dive into the mission of Jesus deeper. For some of you, it'll be leaving. For some of you, it will be living in a brand new way right here in your own neighborhood, in the context of the city, in the midst of your job as you raise your children. We are a people who are being sent because we are following a God who is sent. We are a people enjoying the community of Christ because God is a communal God on mission. We are a people filled with power and authority because it's been given to you by the one who has all power and authority. We are a people who can walk in the hope and the certainty of the Father's provision because he is trustworthy and good and reliable. And we are a people armed with a message of grace that will at time offend our friends. And the Lord will work in the midst of all of it for his good, your joy, and the good of those that are around us. So here is my encouragement to us this summer. May we not come to ethos. May we become ethos. May we not come to church. May we be the church both gathered and sent not as fearful cowards into a world that seems like it's overwhelmingly dark, but as children of light, hand in hand with Jesus, armed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our mission is to love God, love people, and awaken the movement that Jesus began. Will you be a part of that mission with us this summer as we look at Christ for who he is and all that he does? Let's pray together as we get ready for communion. Father, Thank you.